Good morning, Two Cities Church. I want to say welcome to everybody who's here, everyone who's joined us in the lobby and online. My name is Caleb Duvick. I'm one of the pastors here at Two Cities Church. And if you didn't know this, the beautiful woman on the uh, video before me was my wife. All right, and so we get to share the stage together today, which is very awesome. So excited just to hear her story, and you're going to see how it incorporates into what we're going to be talking about here today. But before we dive into that, Merry Christmas week, everyone. Woo! Who's excited? Man, man, we're very excited about that. And some of you are now just finally starting to listen to Christmas music, all right? We know who you are because for the last three weeks as we've been singing them together, you've been standing here like this. It's not time yet, all right, but now it is. And so, listen, I love Christmas music. As anyone who loves Jesus very much like I do, I start listening to it very early, like pre-Thanksgiving, August 11th to be exact. (laughs) But before you go hating on me, know that studies have been done and they found that people who listen to Christmas music earlier are generally happy people. And so that's a good thing. So if you've got a grumpy spouse or a roommate, you know what to do next year to fix that. So, and as much as I love Michael Buble and Mariah Carey, as much as I hate the song, do they know it's Christmas? Yes, they know it's Christmas, all right? The songs that I love about Christmas most are the old hymns and carols. And so we've been trying to teach our kids that at home every night. Leading up to Christmas, we're doing something called the Jesse Tree Project, and so we're talking about stories of Jesus, and we always end up singing an old Christmas hymn together. And so at Thanksgiving time, we were driving up to my parents' house. I had one of my hymnals, and so I was looking at the Christmas songs just to be refreshed on all the different ones and the different words, and one thing really stood out to me. It was this theme that I found woven throughout these hymns of silence, And so the very first Christmas song in the Christmas section is a song called, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. And of course, there's Silent Night, Amid the Silence. You find them all over the place. And it's almost as if the hymn writers were looking into the future, and they saw where we were at, and they saw the exact opposite of silence, right? Because how do most people describe the holiday season? It's chaotic. It's hectic. It's filled with crowds and bustle. Or as the Grinch said it best, all the noise, 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 right? And so it's interesting that this is our holiday season. It crowds out the thing that matters most, which is Jesus Christ, right? But I think, actually, the Christmas season is just a microcosm for what we experience most of our days. Our lives are busy. We're always hurrying. It is constantly filled with noise, and we're missing out every day on the most important things. And so what we're gonna be talking about today is what I believe God gives us as the solution or the antidote to this problem that we experience in our lives. And so here's the big idea that I want you guys to take away today, and it's this. Amid the clamor and chaos of life, what Christians need most is communication and communion with Christ. And I believe that the greatest way that we are going to experience this is through the spiritual discipline called silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. This is a spiritual discipline that's been practiced over thousands of years by believers. You see it in the scriptures itself. And one uh, theologian, his name is Henry Nouwen, he's recognized as one of the most prominent theologians on the spiritual disciplines. He has this to say about silence and solitude. Without silence and solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Let me read that again. Without silence and solitude, it is virtually impossible 
to live a spiritual life. That's a pretty bold statement, is it not? But for me, as I did more reading and research on this over the last couple of weeks, the more theologians I found that agreed with him. They said, he's actually right. But here's the reality is that very few people in the American church know much about silence and solitude, right? And even fewer of them are regularly practicing it in their lives. And so if this statement is true, if there is such a big importance of silence and solitude in the life of believers, then I think it is utmost importance for us today to really truly wrap our minds around it and understand what is silence and solitude And not just that, how do we apply it to our lives no matter who we are or what we're going through today? And so that's what we're gonna do is try to break that down. I'm gonna try to answer four questions about this, about silence and solitude. The first one is, what is it? So we can understand it. The second is, why do we struggle with it? The third is, how does God want to use it? And then the last portion of our time, I just wanna get really practical and say, How do we practice this? How do we apply it to our lives today? And so let's dive into that first question. What is it? What is silence and solitude? I think the best place that we can go to to learn about what it is is the life of Jesus. And so for our main text, we are gonna be turning over to Luke chapter five, and we're gonna be looking at two verses there that I think give us the best picture of what silence and solitude is. And so you can turn there in your Bibles, on your app, and we're gonna have it on the screen as well. And so Luke 5, verse 15 says this. But now, even more, the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Listen to this verse. But he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so I just wanna zero in on a few words from that, from that verse right there, verse 16. And so we see one of the first words is he would withdraw. That means Jesus would get away. He would remove himself from everyone and everything. He sought intentional withdrawal from social engagement and distraction. That's a good picture of what solitude is. And then we see what would he do? He would go to desolate places. Depending on which version of the Bible you're reading, you're gonna see desolate places, you're gonna see wilderness, you're gonna see lonely place, solitary place, or the silent place. And so we see Jesus seeking out intentional time without interruption or noise. He's seeking silence. And then what does it say he does? He goes and he prays. And so when he's doing this, there's a God word component to it. Jesus is not just going out into the wilderness and looking deeply within himself, right? That's what a lot of other religions say that we do. But that is a part of it, but that's not the whole of it. What he's doing is he is inviting the Father into that time and space. And so when we put those things together, here's the definition that I have for silence and solitude. Silence and solitude are rhythms of intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. It's rhythms of intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. And here's one of the crazy things. As you start looking for this more and more in scripture, you're gonna see it everywhere because Jesus did this a lot. He did it often. Actually, in the CSB version of this verse 16, it says, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. I counted up in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Jesus doing this more than 30 times. 
So he's going, he's doing this regularly in his life. It's a habit, it's a rhythm, it's a discipline. And we see him doing it for all kinds of reasons. There's all kinds of reasons he's going and doing this. So Luke 4, it says he goes and does this to be strengthened. In Matthew 14, we see him doing it to work through suffering. And he also does it to find rest and restoration. In Mark 1, we see him doing it to spend time with his father. In Luke 4 and John 6, we see him doing it to stay focused on his priorities. In Luke 6, we see him doing it to seek out God's will and direction for his life. The last one I'm actually gonna read with you, Mark 6, Jesus does it to call us to do the same. He does it as an example to us and he calls us into it as well. Mark 6, verse 30, it says this, and his apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And so they were away for a few weeks, they were ministering, they were living out um, what Christ had called them to. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So just like Jesus needed it, he knows how much each and every single one of us needs this as well. Because for Jesus, the busier and more demanding his life became, it's interesting, you see him withdrawing more. You see, for us, we do the exact opposite. The busier our life becomes, instead of silence and solitude being our go-to, it's the first thing to go, right? But Jesus is saying, listen, I know how you live. I know what your life is like. You don't need less time in silence and solitude. You need more of it. And so he's calling us to live out what we see him doing right here in scripture. And so that's just a quick snapshot of what silence and solitude is. Now some of you are hearing that and you're like, man, that sounds pretty good. I would love to do that. Anything just to create some more space in my life. If I can get away from my crazy kids or roommate for a little bit, sign me up. That sounds great. Or if I can get some time away from my crazy neighbors, Todd and Margo, I'm in. All right? Or maybe some of you are like, man, is this like a lifestyle thing? Can I just do this forever? Now, I remember being there. I remember reading the Chronicles of Narnia when I was a little bit younger. And um, in the third book, The Horse and His Boy, there's this character called the Hermit of the Southern March. He's this dude who just lives in the mountains on the southern border of Narnia. He has this super long beard, and he just lives alone with his goats. And I was like, I want to be that when I grow up. That sounds awesome. <laughs> and some of you are like, yes, that's me too. And so, man, there's, there's something sexy about it. There's something that we're drawn to in some ways. But Ruth Haley Barton, who writes extensively about silence and solitude, she says there's something with it called the push-pull phenomenon. At the same time, we are drawn to it because there's something appealing about it, and we know that it would probably be good for us, but at the very same time, we push away from it, and we're repelled from it. And the reason why is if any of you have ever practiced silence and solitude in your life before, you know that it is actually very, very hard. It is very difficult. And so the second question is, why is that? Why do we struggle with it? And as I've thought about it over the last couple of weeks, I think there's three primary reasons that we struggle with silence and solitude. The first is addiction to productivity. We live in a culture that is entrenched in productivity. When I'm surfing around on Amazon looking at books, which I do often, one of the biggest categories that you're gonna see on there, the most hot selling items are books on productivity. When you get on your app store, on your phone, you're looking at some of the top selling apps, you know what most of them are? Productivity. 
It's because we live in this world that we love seeing immediate results, all right? But here's what I understand about silence and solitude and actually all the spiritual disciplines is they are not like a microwave. They are more like a crock pot, all right? Success is not found in quick hits, but in sustained patterns. And that is really challenging for us who like seeing those immediate results in our lives. We have very little patience when it's like, man, I have to put time and energy and effort into this, and not just once, but over and over again on a daily basis. We struggle with that. We love feeling like we're leveling up. You know, I just watched a movie called Free Guy recently. The main character is a guy who's in a video game. He goes about his life leveling up with all the things we do. And we kind of wish the Christian life was that, where it's like, I sit down for my devotions today and I close my Bible and there's these heavenly trumpets saying, you are now a level 57 Christian, congratulations, right? Or we spend an hour in silence and solitude and we unlock holiness mode in our life. That's how we think it's gonna happen, but really, but we know it's gonna require patience. It's gonna require time. And some of us, we just can't handle that. And so we try to fill in it these times with all these other things. Where it's like, man, I could be knocking out an email right now. I've got a whole inbox of stuff I've got to work through. Or maybe you're like, I've got a sink full of dishes and I've got a to-do list as long as my arm. Or maybe you're like, I've got a bunch of podcasts to listen to about productivity. <laughs> like I, could, I would rather be doing that with my life. But here's the thing. Just as you know, any meal that you get out of a crock pot is way better than anything you can make in a microwave. No question. And we have to believe, we have to trust that making time and space for silence and solitude is worth the energy and the effort. That's what's gonna help you push through that addiction to productivity so that we can experience that with the Lord. The second reason we struggle with it is this. It's simply spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. Satan does not want us to do this. We, I've heard it said that Satan has four tactics he loves to use against us. The first is deception. The second is division. The third is discouragement. And the fourth, distraction. Satan doesn't need to use demonic possession in your life because, frankly, distraction is working just fine. All right? C.S. Lewis, when he wrote the Screwtape Letters, it's a book about how demons are interacting with our world today and trying to, like, get us to trip up and stumble. He taps into this truth very much. He says, man, that silence is seen as a danger to the demon's cause. Uncle Screwtape, writing to his nephew, says, the devil's realm is a kingdom of, is a kingdom of noise, and one day the whole universe is gonna be one big noise. This famous missionary, his name is Jim Elliott, he caught this too. He said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds, because Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. Satan knows how God loves to use silence in our lives to work in us, and he's gonna do everything he can to distract us from that. And so if we're being super honest today, what do you think is one of the greatest distractions that Satan is using in your life to keep you from focusing on Christ? If you were gonna take silence and solitude very seriously, what do you think the one Achilles heel is that he's gonna use on you? How about this? Anyone? I know that's for me. Listen, if you're under the age of 20, I wanna tell you something that you might have heard your parents or your grandparents talk about one time. It's called boredom, all right? 
You see, it's this thing that existed in the 1990s. And, you know, I went to the doctors earlier this week and I had to sit in a waiting room. And you know what you used to do in the waiting room in the 90s? You would just wait, all right? Or, you know, imagine you're going to a grocery store and you're standing in the line. There's three people in front of you. You know what you would do? You just stood there, all right? You didn't text your friends. You didn't flip through TikTok videos. You didn't listen to a podcast. The only headlines that you saw were the weird ones on the National Enquirer right next to you, okay? And on a really, really bad day, maybe someone else in line tries to start having a conversation with you, all right? Like, that's what it used to be like. But we don't experience that anymore because what do we do? We immediately pull out our phones, distract ourselves. But here's what used to be true. Those were potential portals to God. That time that we had in that space where we just were bored and waiting, it was an opportunity that we could actually think. We could connect it back to God. Maybe it's a time that we could just say a quick prayer or just express gratitude. Or heaven forbid, maybe we did some scripture memory or something with that spare time, right? But we've lost all of that. We've lost all of that. All the places that we could be unplugged in this world, whether that's an elevator for the 15 seconds that we used to have to wait, right? Or maybe it's out in the wilderness. You know, I was just looking at backpacks for hikers this week, and they come with power reserves for smartphones now. Like, we are never able to be unplugged. Airplanes, you can have Wi-Fi now. You never have to be disconnected. Maybe the last place that we have left is the shower, but that's until Apple knows how to finally genuinely waterproof an iPhone. And then that's going to be a time filled with texting and talking, right? And so we are distracting ourselves into oblivion. And listen, this is not the throw away your phone sermon, all right? That's not what I'm telling you guys to do. But I am just trying to open our eyes, like let this be a wake-up call, that we are distracting ourselves into oblivion. And listen, our souls are at stake. Satan loves using this because the more that we are distracted, the more weak and ineffective we become as Christians. And he's just fine with that. He's very happy if we just become pointless in the world around us. Because he knows that, listen, it's not just us. There's a whole lost world around us as well. And he is using distraction to keep them from coming to a faith in Jesus Christ too. There's a guy, his name is Andrew Sullivan, He's a writer, and he wrote an article for New York Magazine called I Used to Be Human. And he said this. I thought it was very profound. He said, the reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of society has removed the very stillness in which faith might endure or be born. And so Satan is using distraction against us as believers and unbelievers in the world around us. And if we're ever going to prioritize silence and solitude, we're gonna have to first open our eyes and see how we are being distracted from growing in our faith. And then we need to learn how to fight that temptation. We have to learn how to say no to distraction. That's the second thing that makes us struggle with silence and solitude. Who's the third? The reason we struggle with silence and solitude is because it exposes our hearts. It exposes the things we don't love seeing about ourselves. Because there's two types of silence. There's internal silence and external silence. External silence is that noise outside of us. It's the music that's playing, it's the people that's talking, it's all these different things. That's a little bit easier to get away from because what can you do? You can flip a switch, 
You can walk out of the room. You can go somewhere else that's quiet. And so external silence is possible, but we gotta make that choice. But it's when you get there that you start to experience that internal silence. And here's that internal silence. When everything else around us is quiet, it's when your brain starts going crazy, right? It's when you start thinking all those different thoughts. You start replaying those conversations or situations over again in your mind, in your head. You start thinking about all those hypothetical situations that just stir up that anxiety. Or it brings up the things inside of us, those emotions or those feelings that we just try to push down and ignore. Those feelings of loneliness, fear, guilt, shame, those thoughts about eternity that we don't want to think about. And so it's the terror of that silence that pushes us away from any kind of interaction with silence. We don't want to think about those things. German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we're so afraid of silence that we chase ourselves from one event to the next in order not to have to spend a moment alone with ourselves, in order not to have to look ourselves in the mirror. How many of you would say that's true for you? Or maybe take it from an unbeliever. The comedian Louis C.K. said this in an interview with Conan O'Brien one time. I think it's, I just appreciate the honesty from him. He says, what phones are taking away is the ability to just sit there. Because every, underneath everything in your life is that thing, that empty, forever empty. The knowledge that it's all there for nothing and that you're alone. It's just sitting down there. And sometimes when things clear away and you're not watching anything, you're in your car and you start thinking, oh no, here it comes. I'm alone, or fill in the blank. It starts to press in on you, just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad just by being in it. And that's why we text and drive. I look around and pretty much 100% of people are texting while they're driving and they're killing. Everyone's murdering each other and in their cars, but people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. Man, I appreciate the honesty of that because that's how many of us feel sometimes, right? In that internal silence because the truest and most real version of ourselves exists in that hidden ground of internal silence. And when you want to run away from that, when you want to try to cover that up, when you want to try to distract yourself away from that, here's what you need. God doesn't want you to do any of those things. He wants you to stay in that space as hard as it is because he delights and desires to meet you there because it's in that internal silence that God's work can have the greatest impact in your life. And so my argument is, don't run away from that. Stay there. Because here's the third thing. Here's what God wants to do when you finally allow yourself to arrive in that space. The first thing we see is that Jesus meets us there with his love and grace. He meets us there. You know, in solitude, we seek God, but first we have to encounter ourselves in all of its embarrassing attributes. And the only thing that is gonna sustain us in there is Jesus Christ. Dallas Willard a theologian says, we can only survive silence and solitude if we cling to Christ. If you go there without him, you are gonna be wrecked and ruined. But listen, Jesus doesn't just meet you and then leave you there. When Jesus looks at you and he sees this broken, sinful, messed up, and wounded person, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't run away like we often try to. He doesn't run away 
run away like we feel other people would if they saw those things deep inside of us. What does he do? He doesn't run away. He presses in all the more. And when he looks at those things about us, here's what he says to you. I love you. Doesn't matter what I see here. I love you, and I'm gonna cover all of these things with my grace. And that's the good news. But you can only experience this if you are willing to embrace that internal silence. Because when you stay above the surface and you just pretend all your life like everything's okay, nothing's wrong, the love and grace of Christ will never be truly compelling to you. You have to be able to enter into that silence, to work through the distraction, to look honestly at what's in your heart, and that's where God's love and grace is going to shine the brightest. That's where you are going to finally, for the first time in your life, go from knowing about love and grace to actually experiencing it. And some of you have never experienced that before because you've never taken the time to enter into this. You've never done it long enough or often enough to say, man, Christ, come in. And that's what he longs for so many of you in here today. Maybe you've never experienced that before and he's saying, would you let me in? Make that time and space and invite me into that because I wanna cover you with my love and grace. Another thing that we experience in silence and solitude is that we can experience healing and transformation Healing and transformation is something only the Holy Spirit can give us. That's not something we can manufacture on our own. But what we can do is we can create the space for the Holy Spirit to enter in and do those things. We're all like a bunch of jars of river water that are just shaken up through life. And the longer we go and just continue to hustle and bustle, all that sediment just continues to swirl. But when we approach silence and solitude, it gives us enough time for all that sediment to just fall down to the bottom. And it creates this clear space for the Holy Spirit to come in and begin working and moving in our hearts and our lives. It's where we can experience healing. Healing for the soul, man, you can't just work through that by pushing it down or ignoring it. You have to wrestle with it. And that's what the Holy Spirit can bring is healing for us. It also brings transformation. Um, Henry Nouwen, I mentioned him earlier, he says that silence and solitude is the furnace of transformation. And we say, man, I've heard it said that the way we experience growth in our life is by going through experiences. But that's not true. What people have found is it's not experiences that change us, it's the reflection on those experiences. Where we take time and we set aside space to work through what we've experienced and really just get to the bottom of that. Think about it this way. Why do athletes, the day after they have a game, sit down and watch game tape for hours? Because the experience is not enough to just learn and grow. They have to sit down and look at it in full, all the beautiful and ugly attributes. Say, what did I do well and where did I fail? Because it's that intentional reflection that allows them to get better and to grow. That's what silence and solitude does for us as Christians. It's a space for us to truly reflect and say, where do I need to grow? And the third thing that God does with silence and solitude is it's where we deepen our relationship with Christ. Think about it this way. What is one of the most important things, if you're married, you need to have with your spouse? You need to have date nights and special times set aside for you guys just to genuinely connect with each other. Because without that, man, your, your relationship is gonna struggle and maybe eventually die if you never have deep time with one another. I've heard it said about this with kids. How do our kids spell the word love? T-I-M-E. 
because to them, it's the time that we are willing to spend with them that makes them feel loved and cherished. Why would we think our relationship with God is any different than that? We need to make this intentional time and space so that we can walk with him, that we can abide with Christ. It's in that space that you're gonna see your relationship with him just continue to grow and boom because that's what it's for. It's virtually impossible for us to grow in our spiritual life without it. And so we need this. That's how God uses it. And so hopefully you can see, all right, here's what it is. Why do we struggle with it? How does God wanna use it? And just with this last little bit of time, I said, I wanna be very practical. I want you all to walk away here thinking, I know exactly how to implement this in my life. And so I've been practicing this for a couple of years. I'm just gonna give you the best tips and tricks I've learned. I wanna pay the dumb tax for you, okay? And so if you wanna take notes, write these down because it's gonna immediately help you learn to implement this in your life. And so there's three different ways you can practice this. I'm gonna walk through each of those three. There's moments, there's daily, and there's extended. So let's look at moments first. So moments of silence and solitude are those in-between moments of life. Things like the waiting room or in the grocery store, while you're pumping gas, while you're waiting in line for your kids, whatever that is, those times when you immediately wanna just reach for your phone and distract yourself, say, don't, I'm not gonna do that. Here's what you do instead, is you use that as an opportunity to connect with Christ. As the hymnist says, we're to take our moments and our days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. And so just figure out what does that look for you? Maybe instead you just sing a chorus from a worship song. Maybe it's just a quick moment to just say a quick prayer for whatever God's put on your heart. Maybe it's a moment to, I don't know, think about scripture, whatever it might be. And I think as you continue to do this throughout your day, when we so often feel disconnected from God in our normal life, you're gonna start seeing those moments compound. You're gonna see God just ebbing and flowing throughout your days. And you're gonna feel deeply connected to him. That's what moments of silence and solitude are. It doesn't have to be perfectly still. It doesn't have to be perfectly quiet. But those are moments we can intentionally connect with God. And so moments of silence and solitude. The next is daily silence and solitude, okay? This is how we practically invite him into each day. And there's a few ways we're gonna do this. I'm gonna give you some hints. All right, here's what to do before, during, and after. Okay, so beforehand, you have to do a little work to make this happen. So one of the first things you need to do is pick a time that you can consistently practice this, all right? For most of you, that may be early in the morning. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus, we see him rising early in the morning to get away because we're gonna have to find time before all the rest of life crowds in because, again, we try to push this out when we feel overwhelmed. And so maybe this needs to be the first thing that you do each day. Maybe if you're a parent with crazy kids, maybe nap time. Maybe they are not taking nap times anymore and they never leave you alone for one second of the day and the last bastion of solitude you have is your shower, all right? Maybe your shower time is your time of silence and solitude. So figure out what is the time that you can use and there's so much flexibility. You can figure out what it looks like for you. Figure out a place. You know, for me, what I do is I sit at a kitchen chair at my island and that's my time every single morning. Maybe for you, that's sitting by the fireplace or looking out a window. Maybe for you, your place for silence and solitude is being active, not just sitting. Maybe it's while you go on a walk or a jog or a run, bike ride, whatever it might be. So find some place that works for you. The third thing is set a modest goal for yourself, all right? Because if you're going into this fresh, you might be thinking, 60 minutes, let's go. I'm gonna go deep. 
but really, you're not gonna make it five minutes, okay? And so maybe for you, if you're starting out, start with five to 10 minutes. That's gonna be a pretty modest thing. And here's another little tick, tip or hack, is if you can set a timer, do that. Because here's a rookie mistake. You think you're about five minutes in, you're like, oh, I'm killing it, let's go. You look up at the clock, it's like 47 seconds, dang it, all right? And so if you set a timer, you'll know it will tell you when you are done. You don't have to keep looking at the clock. And so, you know, do that. Um, but you can keep increasing that. Maybe you do that regularly. Maybe you're doing that three days a week. Then you can move that to five, seven days. Maybe you can increase that from, you know, five minutes to 15 minutes or half an hour, whatever it might be. Start small and work your way big. A fourth thing I can say is this. Put your phone away, all right? I've tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> And so put your phone away, turn it off is even better. That is gonna be one of the things that will help you not be distracted in your time. Okay, so that's what you need to do before. Here's what you do during silence and solitude. You're like, what does this actually look like, okay? First of all, you're gonna be coming in hot. So you might be all frazzled, whatever that might be. Just take a minute to just calm down, all right? Take a deep breath. Maybe you just say a prayer and say, God, man, would you just be with me in this time? And then be ready to be distracted because as soon as you go into this, all those things are gonna be popping in your head. And what you can do when you get those things that are gonna distract you, you just take those and give them to God. You can say, God, I'm feeling really anxious about work right now. Or God, I'm just really feeling overwhelmed by everything I have to get done. That's okay. Don't be discouraged. Don't judge yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Just take it and give it to God. And then what you do is just find ways to interact with him. Maybe you just start by saying, God, what do you want to tell me today? In these next five minutes, what do you want to say to me? If you've got questions for God, ask him and listen. Maybe you've got something on your chest you just need to get off. Say it to him. Maybe it's a moment that you need to meditate on scriptures. That's often what I do is I read my Bible beforehand and I'm just meditating. God, what do you want to say to me from what, you just, what I just read? Maybe you're working through something in your heart and you just need to remind yourself of the gospel. You can do any number of those different things and see what the Lord does. And here's what you can do. When you're done, when that timer goes off, just take a moment to reflect. Man, is there something I need to pray about with this? Man, is there something I need to journal about and think about a little bit more? Is there, some, is there a conversation I need to have with my spouse or a friend or a pastor, whatever it might be? And so listen, there is no successes or failures when you do this. Sometimes you're gonna go in and you're gonna have an excellent, amazing experience. You feel like the Lord spoke to you. And other times, I had one this week where it's just like, what did I get out of that? I don't know. But instead of saying, man, I'm terrible at this. Man, God doesn't talk to me. I'm not getting anything out of this. Don't be discouraged. Keep going. Because the main point is spending time with your heavenly father who loves you. And he's gonna continue to use that in your life no matter what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's what daily looks like. Let's do one last one, extended. That's what you saw my sweet wife talking about on the video, right? And so extended is more time away. And so for you, pick whatever that looks like for you. Maybe for you, when you're getting started, maybe that's just half a day. You're spending four hours. Maybe for some of you, it's a whole weekend. Me and my wife, we do about a day and a half. And so figure out what time are you gonna do this? And for some of you, it's gonna mean trading off responsibilities. You know, you heard my wife talk about, we had to just decide we're gonna trade off. She's gonna take the kids and everything else so I can go away and do this. For me, I said, the first one we ever did, I want Kelly to do it 
because I don't want her being ticked off that I'm away while she's taking care of these kids by herself. I'm like, I want her to have a good experience so that she can see this and we can continue to do this for years to come. It worked, all right? And so, you know, figure out what that looks like for you. Here's the next thing, calendar it. Because if you don't do that, it'll be like that game night you keep saying you're gonna have with the Taylors, but you never have because you never put it on the calendar. And all of this life is gonna continue to try to crowd it out. And so make time for it. Otherwise, life will crowd it out and just stick to it, okay? So calendar, pick a location. Here's what I'd recommend. Get out of your house. Go to a park. Go get an Airbnb. Go to a bunker somewhere. Me and my wife, we go to a spiritual retreat center. This is a place called St. Francis Prayer Center. It's up by Virginia. But find a place that you can really experience some silence and solitude apart from others. And then the last thing you need to do is figure out what are you gonna do during this extended time away? Some of you may be asking, Caleb, are you saying I need to take a 48-hour vow of silence and sit like a statue? Yes, I am. That's exactly what you have to do. I'm kidding, guys. Gosh, you're getting so serious, okay? The best way I think about extended silence and solitude is it's like a container, spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline that's a container you fill up with all of these other types of spiritual disciplines. And so if you're away for a day and a half, maybe you're doing what Pastor Spencer just talked about. Maybe you're spending time in God's word, reading it, you're journaling over it, you're learning to pray over it in different ways. Maybe you're practicing what Pastor Stephen told us about. Maybe it's a time that you can intentionally fast and seek the Lord for something in your life. Or maybe some of part of what you're doing is practicing what Pastor Kyle talked about with Sabbath. Maybe one of the holiest things you can do is take a nap. Or maybe go on a walk with the Lord and just enjoy your time with him in creation. And so there's so much freedom in what that can look like doing this extended period of silence and solitude. But what you're gonna see, I believe, is that the Lord is not just working you in that moment, but he is working in and through you for the rest of your days in between those times. And it's a beautiful thing to experience. I want you to imagine what would it look like if we as individual believers and as a church could really start seeking silence and solitude in our lives. If we, amid the chaos and clamor of life, were able to really, through silence and solitude, communicate and really commune with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I think you know that it would have a great impact on you. And not just you, but on a watching world around us as well. Remember that guy, Andrew Sullivan, who wrote the article, I Used to Be Human? He also said this. He said, if Christians came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps Christians might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. Maybe the greatest gift that you and I can give to the lost around us is the unfrazzled versions of ourselves that through silence and solitude are filled with clarity and compassion because we know what it's like to need the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We know how much we have needed to be healed and transformed. We know deeply our need for a beautiful and rich relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think when we are experiencing that and living that out in our lives, that's gonna be deeply attractive to a watching world. And so let's be a church that goes and takes what we have here today and apply it to our lives. We're about to go into a time of communion and what I wanna just do for a moment is put into practice what we've just been listening to and talking about these last few minutes. And so wherever you're at, if you would just close your, close your eyes, bow your head. 
And I know you're not here by yourself. You're probably surrounded by 100 different people, right? It's maybe not gonna be the most silent time. But what this is a chance for is it's a time to quiet ourselves before the Lord and just respond with what he's doing in our heads and in our hearts. And so let's just take a moment right now to spend time in silence and solitude in the presence of our loving Father.